from Cape Town. This is the Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM. Sunday Live on 91.3 FM Stereo. Sunday Live. Assalamu alaikum. Warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back to Sunday Live. Uh, straight into our first uh, segment, of course, is relating to the Khan Court, uh, the highest court in the land, having made a ruling on Thursday which upholds the domestic workers' rights to access the compensation fund in the event of injury or death. Now, this comes after the death of Maria Mashlango, a, a domestic worker who, who died in a drowning accident at the employer's home in 2012. Uh, now, joining us online is Pinky Mashiani, founder of the United Domestic Workers of South Africa and Kili Bukhile Kununo, a researcher at Socioeconomic Rights Institute of South Africa to unpack this discussion. Uh, ladies, uh, good morning and welcome to the show. Thank you and good morning to listeners. Good morning. Thank you for having us and good morning to your listeners. It's such a pleasure and a um, very interesting uh, discussion that I think uh, you know is currently taking place, uh, and um, obviously a landmark ruling as we've mentioned. Uh, and I'm keen to unpack this in, oh, at the moment. Uh, I would like to ask the listener if you have any questions, you're welcome to WhatsApp us 0722380712 uh, or rather 0829913913. That's 0829913913. You can also SMS us on four seven nine nine three. I want to start off uh, with uh, um, just looking at, uh, before we even get to this ruling, uh, I want to ask the question around um, the the personality, um, uh, as we mentioned, a a lady uh, by the name of uh, Maria Mashlangu, who died in 2012. Now, obviously between 2012 and uh, 2020, there's been eight years that have elapsed. Um, So just in terms of how long uh, this case has actually been, um, has actually been running. um, And I I just want to start off with with yourself, uh, Kelly Bukhile, in terms of looking at, you know, just the length of time and why it took so long for us to arrive at this finality. So I think definitely Pinky should should answer this question because she really has been there from the beginning of this journey. Um, okay. But from the from the legal side, what I can add to to this question is that you know this this topic of including domestic workers in Quetta has been going on for a very long time now. Um, and some of the reasons that were given for the exclusion from Quetta in the first place was that it would be administratively difficult to to include domestic workers. There were so many different reasons given. My personal take was that um, domestic domestic workers are not viewed as real workers. And so this sort of perspective and this attitude towards um, the sector of workers sort of influenced what happened in the case and why it took so long. Um, But I think I'm just going to hand over to Binky to really talk about you know, what actually happened at the beginning and, and why it took so long um, from her perspective. Uh, Pinky, just again, the same question to you. Uh, you know, it, 2012 is when this um, matter came, became apparent and became public. And then in 2020 now, we see this ruling. So uh, from your experience and in your opinion, you know, why did it take so long? Why did it take eight years for us to arrive at this finality? Yeah, it took 
so long because domestic workers were not recognized as workers in South Africa. And even before Maria Masangu's case, there were other cases of domestic workers who died on duty. I remember two of them that uh, touched my heart. I also read about them in a newspaper. One of them is Christina Moyo, who, drowned, who was killed while looking for an employer's house in Johannesburg. And the other one was Agnes Ngatu, was detained by her employer's dog in, in Devon. So when Maria Masangu died in Pretoria, I read about it in, in Pretoria News. Then I said to myself, this time it's in Pretoria, I have to do something. Because people didn't think that domestic workers are workers like all other workers in South Africa. So even to get help, it's been very difficult. I started in equality court. Uh, I didn't get help. Then I went to the University of South Africa. We didn't get any help. University of Pretoria, we didn't get help because people were thinking that domestic workers are not are not workers. Maybe that's something that we should deal with, with with the employers. They didn't understand that this is a big case and there was somebody who had to take responsibility for this. So it took this this long because of the reason that domestic workers are not used as workers and people think that employing a domestic worker is just employing somebody that you can hire and fire as you like. So we have we took the case to to the court to the lawyers to prove that domestic workers are, are other are like other workers though it's a sector like no other sector so it, that's why it took so long it takes takes long for people to understand domestic work even now we are still fighting for UIF since 2003 first April until today there are domestic workers they were not registered it's just like an ongoing problem that we have. Now, uh, the other question, Kelly uh, Bukhire, is um, if, if if we look at uh, you know this case, we see it, uh, you know it's taken about eight years to get to get to this to this finality. Um, just from your perspective, when did um, uh, CDSA start working on the Maria Mashlangu uh, and uh, Koida for domestic workers? When did you become involved? So we came, we became involved in the case about two years ago. So in, in 2018, um, we officially took on the case as the Socioeconomic Rights Institute. Uh, but previous to that, one of the attorneys, the attorney who, who was on the case, um, worked at this law clinic. Um, and that's when Binky and Mesovia approached um, this law clinic. And so he took that case on. And I think if Binky can correct me, this was five years ago. Um, so the case has been with us, well, with the attorney who eventually came to Seri um, for about five years. Um, and over the last two years, so in, from 2018, we sort of accelerated the momentum that was already um, generated by his efforts at this. Um, and so in 2018, we saw a lot of advocacy being put into, into this case. A lot of organizations came together to actually bring this, um, this case to light. Now, um, Pinky, in terms of this ruling, uh, for, what does it mean for domestic workers, for someone who is working in an informal manner as most domestic workers do? Uh, does, this, d- does this mean then that uh, any person who uh, is classified as a domestic worker, when, if they are injured at home, uh, you know, at, 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 injured at the home of the employer, that they would then qualify for the compensation fund as someone who does work a nine-to-five job and is injured on the job? Yeah, yes, this is a historical victory for domestic workers and thanks to Seri for all this hard work. 
this means that domestic workers who are, who are injured and those who will be injured at work now will be compensated by COIDA. And that also means that domestic workers who were killed since who died in the line of duty and those who were injured in the line of duty death from 1994-27 April, now they have right to go and claim from the compensation fund. So it, 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 I don't know how to explain this, but this is massive. It's a landmark case. It's, it's made history, but we still have to reach many domestic workers to explain the ruling to them because domestic workers, most of them, they lack education, they lack knowledge. Those in rural areas, they don't know anything when we talk, we talk about COIDA. So we need to educate them and speak about it every day as from now on because this is was long overdue. Domestic work is a very important work which keeps the economy running, keeps the employer, make, we make our employers work easy. So it is a great victory. We are overjoyed about the, 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 the ruling of the constitutional court. Uh, yeah. Uh, Kilbukhili, in terms of um, this ruling now, uh, so uh, how soon does implementation take place? Does it, has it taken effect immediately um, or uh, is there a process that now needs to be put in place? So it takes place immediately in the judgment, the, the unconstitutionality of that specific section in COIDA that excludes domestic workers. Um, was ruled as unconstitutional, um, was declared as, as unconstitutional, and the ruling um, is, is immediate. And so this means that today, or from Thursday, all domestic workers are covered under COIDA. Um, in terms of the, the actual logistics and the implementation and um, all, of, yeah, all of the work that actually needs to go, go, go into um, speaking about um, COIDA, to, especially to employers, this will, we will have to hear from the Department of Labor as the, as the, yeah, the, the government department that's, that's responsible for um, governing the sector. And so it's a conversation between the Department of Labor, employers of domestic workers and domestic workers, because employers should very soon, um, and the Department of Labor should announce this, um, should very soon begin to, to contribute to the compensation fund um, so that their employees are, are, are able to um, so that their employees are, because now that their employees are, are, are covered, um, they're obligated to do that. Now also, uh, just in terms of this ruling, um, would you say it's made it, made it easier or opened the door uh, to, for instance, uh, the UIF matter that uh, Pinky spoke about? Would you say that it, it, it kind of um, going forward makes core challenges uh, to get those kinds of rights for domestic workers uh, a little bit easier? Um, I, I, so I think it's a yes and no answer. So having a, a case go all the way to the constitutional court definitely brings a gravity to, to the issues that domestic workers have been talking about for, for decades. Um, so definitely, you know, the, the fact that this went to the constitutional court means that government departments will take, will take it very seriously in, in the implementation phase of this. And so in a way, yes, definitely this means that um, this issue definitely will, will yeah, the, the department level will take it on and has to take it on because of a constitutional court ruling on it. Um, but as, as Metingi is, is, is talking, was talking about um, UIF earlier, um, it is, you know, one of the, 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 the difficulties in, in, in this domestic work sector is that because, because it's, you know, it's in someone's home, home their private household, 
it's not viewed as work. And so even though you have like a plethora of laws that actually cover domestic workers, there's a lot of resistance on the employer side. And so I think one of the things that we're, 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 we're hoping comes out of, out of the court of judgment is um, better enforcement from the Department of Labor, because it's not just UIF and it's not just um, COIDA. It's the fact that most domestic workers don't have employment contracts. The fact that a lot of domestic workers don't, don't aren't able to to um, have their their, their leave. Um, some of them are not paid overtime when they work overtime. Some of them work longer hours than what the law says they should work. And so it's a victory, but nevertheless, the, the hard work comes um, after the victory. And the hard work is actually improving the implementation mechanisms in South Africa because so far they have not been, um, yeah, they have been quite weak. Now, Pinky, the other thing is obviously we know that um, uh, for a long time we've understood that uh, those who employ domestic workers at their homes need to register these employees. They need to give them uh, a payslip in a sense. Uh, they need to. There needs to be records. Um, and uh, obviously, the fact that we're speaking about UIF and the rights and access to UIF, uh, kind of creates a bit of a conflict between you know what we're saying on the one side and what's actually being implemented at the moment um so 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 are we saying that a lot of employers are choosing not to register uh, the domestic workers and why yes yeah employers who, who chose not to register domestic workers like i said earlier that some employers don't comply with the law because they think that they are applying their rules or in, in their properties, is the, the, the way that they treat domestic workers. Another reason, the, the level of inequality, the domestic workers can't ask the employers to register them because they say they will fire, they will fire me. I can't, I, they don't want to approach the employers. So the employers think that they can get away because domestic workers are scared to talk about any labor laws to them because of protecting their work, because of their vulnerability, and because of the, the fact that they, most of them are single parents are from poor families. So the level of inequality is, is causing all that. Uh, and some employers are also doing that uh, because of their power. They, they are using this thing that they, they've, got, they, they've got power. Because others are even telling domestic workers that even if you can take me at labor department, I have friends there, or I have families working there at the Department of Labor. You see that, and that, that those things are creating fears within the domestic workers. So some employers are getting away with it. But if the employer is not registered as a domestic worker, and it happens that that domestic worker is dismissed, we make sure at the CCMA that that UIF, the domestic worker, is going to get from labor department. In the settlement agreement, we put it in CCMA that UIF must be returned there because the employer never registered Pinky and now Pinky has been dismissed after 13 years after 20 years working for this employer. So when they go to the Department of Labor, the Department of Labor will deduct the 2%, even that 1% that was supposed to be deducted from the employee. The employer will pay both uh, 2% and will also be penalized by the Department of Labor for not complying. Uh, Pinky, just as we wrap up now, um, I just tell us a little bit more about the organization that you founded, the United Domestic Workers of South Africa. Um, just tell us, you know, when it was founded and uh, also just in terms of uh, what the aims and objectives of this organization is. United Domestic of 
Workers of South Africa was founded on the 16th of June, uh, that's International Domestic Workers Day, in 2018. But I've been... Uh, with the domestic workers since 2000. I was an organizer and an NDC member of Satsau. So when I founded Udosa, I was already fighting for the domestic workers' rights for a very long time. And the objective of Udosa is to educate domestic workers about their rights, is to build a good relationship between employers and domestic workers. We also fight for domestic workers if needs be. to take the cases to court because we have taken some cases to equality court, cases of racism uh, against some few employers. So what we are promoting, we are promoting uh, that domestic workers must be treated like all other workers. Domestic workers must have a, a right a, to all the labor laws of South Africa, even including migrant domestic workers, because we're also saying migrant domestic workers must benefit from South Africa. If employers employ migrant domestic workers, they must take responsibility, they must be registered with the UIF, and if they are dismissed, they must be taken to CCMA. And if they take, we take them to CCMA, the first thing they will say, they say, uh, she's from Zimbabwe, she's from Lesotho, she doesn't have the work permit. We are saying to employers, you gave the, the rights the day you employ them. You put them under the labor rights of domestic workers in South Africa the day you employ them. So you're going to uh, compensate them. You're also going to pay their UIF. So that's the uh, object, main objectives of Utoasa. And then finally, Kili uh, just in terms of, we're speaking about South African citizens, but uh, what about uh, foreign nationals who are also working and there's an increasing demand uh, for people uh, to employ um, foreign nationals because, uh, in a sense, people tend to feel that, well, they're not South African citizens, so they don't have as many rights. You know, does this really have an impact on those domestic workers as well? Um, thank you so much for actually asking this this very important question. I think there is a, a huge misconception amongst um, South African employers that by employing someone who's a foreign national, that they don't have rights in this country. Um, so the first thing is that South Africa has signed on to many international um, conventions, one of them being the International Convention on um, Social, Cultural, and Economic Rights. And that actually gives people, any person, the right to work in a country. Um, and so they are protected by international human rights laws. But also when you look in, 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 in domestic law, when you look at our, our constitution, and when you look at um, some of the, the rulings that have been done in, in other sectors of work, so like informal traders, for example, the, the, the right to work um, of informal traders, uh, whether they're South Africans or, or not, has actually been um, is founded on, on the right to human dignity that is in the constitution. And the right to human dignity in the Constitution is afforded to everyone um, in South Africa, regardless of their um, citizenship or their nationality. And so by, like Mepinki was saying, by employing this this person and giving them this this title of this occupation, domestic worker, means that you're not, um, doesn't mean that they they don't have um, these these rights. They actually do have the rights. As an employer, as an employee of domestic workers, you have also have obligations. So one way to look at it is the, the, the rights that, that you know, foreign nationals have in the country in terms of the constitution and their right to dignity and how the courts have interpreted that as, as actually giving, as, as the right to dignity, meaning that someone should also have the right to, to, to make a livelihood and, and support their families. On the employer side, your, the, the labor laws like the BCA, the BC 
uh, EA Basic Conditions of Employment Act, the Labor Relations Act, the Employment Equity Act, those give obligations to employers. And you are still bound by those laws as an employer, whether regardless of the citizenship of, of your employee. Um, and so that you're not, you're not absolved uh, just because your employee is not, um, is not a South African citizen. You are breaking the law if you're not complying to, to these laws as, as an employer in South Africa. So that's a great mis- misconception. Um, and that's a very good question because, you know, some of these things need to be very clear. Right now, it's, it's quite murky. This is murky waters when we're talking about foreign nationals because it doesn't, you know, some of these, these, these laws that, that, that should be covering dem- um, domestic workers who are foreign nationals, it's not so clear in, in the acts themselves what happens to foreign nationals. But if we look at um, what the courts have said in, in terms of informal, informal traders um, and other precarious workers. And we, yeah, and we, and we take learnings from, from some of these court judgments. We can see that it does not mean that um, foreign nationals who are, employee, who are employees in South Africa don't have rights. They, they actually do have rights. And also, um, I, I would say that, obviously, um, we're speaking about domestic workers who are seen as informal workers. And there are other various, various other sectors, even in the farming industry, where people work seasonally. Um, and, uh, you know, so would you say also that the, um, uh, that this also, in a sense, uh, helps those people who generally find themselves in other informal areas where, where, or rather in areas where they're working informally, uh, in a sense, to be able to get to a point um, where they can also then access the services that anyone else who works in a formal job does? It's definitely a, um, a, a great step, a step. taken um, in terms of other informal and, and precarious workers because it opens the door for them where previously the door was closed. Um, and so, of course, you know, in South Africa, we do have that, uh, you know, we have the informal sector and it's not, it's not well supported in South Africa. Um, but as I mentioned before, all the, some of the international um, conventions um, that we, we have signed onto as, as a country actually talk about the support and building this enabling environment for, for people working in the, in the informal sector. So they are actually, you know, um, covered by, by certain laws and certain, and they, they, they're able to claim certain human rights from the international perspective. Um, and we really did see how, you know, informal work really needs support during the, the COVID-19 crisis because this was, this, this was the time when, you know, the only way or the, one of the means of workers to, to, um, to, be, to, to gain an income during, the, during this period of time or, or some income support of some sort was those who were registered for UIF. Um, and it, it became a huge problem for me, for anyone else who works an honest living, you know, makes an honest living working in, in the informal sector. And because of the lockdown, they weren't able to do that. And were, they were basically, de- you know, left without an income and their livelihoods devastated. Um, and so some of the, so this international um, convention on economic, social and cultural rights um, talks about, you know, affording the informal sector social protections that are afforded to the formal sector because they also make a, a major contribution to the economy of South Africa and are deserving of social protection too. Well, 
I want to say a big thank you to my guests uh, this uh, morning, uh, Pinky Mashiani, founder of United Domestic Workers of South Africa, and Kelly Bukhili Kununo, researcher at Social Economic Rights Institute of South Africa, CSA, for joining me and uh, just unpacking this very important ruling. Um, and yes, it goes a long way to restoring uh, people's rights in this sector. And let's hope that we can start to make gains in, this, in the other areas to uh, fully enfranchise um, uh, people uh, in the informal sector. Thank you so much, ladies. All the best and have a safe day further. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Well, that was, of course, um, the discussion that took place uh, regarding the Concord, the highest court in the land, having made the ruling on Thursday, which upholds the domestic workers' rights to access the compensation fund in the event of injury or death. And as we mentioned, this comes after the death of Maria Mashlango, a domestic worker who died in a drowning accident at an employer's home in 2012. So yes, this means that those people uh, who find themselves as domestic workers working in other people's homes, they will be able to access the compensation fund in the event of injury or death. Sunday Live on 91.3 FM Stereo. Sunday Live.